The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. February 15th edition of the PFT PM Podcast. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning if you're late to this one. Although, if it's morning... You should be listening to PFT Live. We're doing six hours tomorrow. Six hours. Here's why. WEEI, I mentioned this yesterday. Suspending programming for 12 hours so everyone in the company can undergo mandatory sensitivity training. The whole store got the flu tomorrow. So we're on from 6 a.m. until noon live. No re-air. Yeah, I know. Instead of sitting on my ass talking for three hours, I'll be sitting on my ass talking for six hours. I hope I can manage. I'm sitting on my ass talking for however long I talk now. We do these as long as we want. I've still been thinking a lot about the folks in Florida affected by the latest mass shooting. I talked about it at the top of every hour today because it's just one of those days where everything feels odd. And how many days do we have like that? We've had so many of them that I can't count them all. Every time... I start trying to list the mass shootings in my head. I miss one. I forget one, whether it's the church in Texas, that incident that was more terrorism than anything else at the holiday party in California in San Bernardino, I think it was a couple of years ago. It just goes on and on and on. And I hate to say this, but it's just one of the risks that we now accept If we want to live in America, if you want to live in America, you have to accept the chance that you're going to die in a mass shooting. Grand scheme of things, it's a small chance. Smaller than a car accident claiming your life. Probably smaller than being struck and killed by lightning. A small chance overall in relation to all the other causes of death, but when it happens, it's horrific. It's like the modern-day plane crash. Like, planes don't crash anymore. This is the new plane crash. That's what it is. How long has it been since there was a fatality with a commercial airline in the United States? I recall something in Buffalo with a regional jet maybe nine years ago. That's basically what it now is. Mass shootings are the new plane crashes. It happens, and we react to it, and we feel bad about it, and then we move on, and you just kind of vaguely wait for the next one, and you know it's going to happen. I wish it wasn't that way. I pray that there's somebody who can lead us through this. I think it requires solutions on multiple fronts. And... You know, people have agendas politically who will say things for and against and red state, blue state. And it turns into a shouting match sooner than it doesn't. But man, I hope that one of these days we'll have a leader who can carry us through this thing and show us the way to have the kind of society where people don't become inclined to 
kill a bunch of other people. I mean, whatever the means are, the means are going to be there. Now, some means are easier than others, and that's one of the problems, but I don't know. It's, it's beyond my abilities to figure it out. I just hope one of these days there's somebody out there who, who can and who can lead us out of this mess if there's even a way out. Or, or is this just new normal? And we're, we're still having trouble getting to the point where we accept that it's the new normal. I think at some point, there's enough of these that happen where we just, what do we do? This is just, it's just another one of those things that you worry about happening to you or a loved one. Okay. Anyway, I, look, I, I feel that I needed to say something about it. And I did. And now I'm depressed and I have to move on to the other topics. Five down territory. And remember, that's why we're here. We're here to give you something to think about, something to focus on part of the overall entertainment and information and captivation as your favorite team is now zero and zero and you're thinking how are they going to improve in the offseason your fantasy team whatever it is whatever makes you follow football zealously enough that you pay attention to all the stuff on the periphery of the game when the game isn't around that's what we're here for the draft is the big offseason tentpole activity and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger It was announced on Thursday that there are five cities in contention to host the draft in 2019 and 2020. It is now abundantly clear that the draft is the new Super Bowl. Cities will clamor for the privilege of hosting the draft. And because it's done in the springtime, it unlocks a universe of potential hosts that that the Super Bowl doesn't. And also, you don't need to have 40,000 hotel rooms or whatever the, the minimum is. You don't have to worry about cruise ships being brought into Jacksonville to get to the requisite amount of lodging, which is what they had to do. Pittsburgh, they, they want to host a Super Bowl. Well, they'd have to open a lot more hotels. They've opened some new hotels in Pittsburgh, and there are some nice hotels in Pittsburgh. But they're going to need to open a lot more hotels if they're going to want to host the Super Bowl. But for the draft, pretty much any NFL community can do it. There'll be at least 100,000 people at AT&T Stadium this year, and now it's on Fox. So millions more will be watching. Denver, Las Vegas, Nashville, Cleveland, slash Canton, and Kansas City. The next two drafts will come from those five cities. And at a time when the NFL has changed its Super Bowl procedures, no longer does it have open competition for the Super Bowl. It's going to approach a city and say... We want to bring the Super Bowl to your city. Here are our terms. Do you accept? Because the cities that were putting in the effort to put together this elaborate Super Bowl proposal were getting pissed off because they felt like they they didn't have a chance. New Orleans, I know, was upset because why are we going to submit a bid when we know that Minnesota is going to get it when their stadium's opening? And we know Atlanta is going to get it when their stadium's opening. We know L.A. is going to get it. We're just there to provide the leverage. So they've changed that. Now the leverage is going to apply with the draft. Because number one, I think it's cheaper to put a proposal together. And for now, they're riding that wave of of demand. It's making the draft seem bigger and bigger. And the thing that's amazing to me, the draft really is a show about nothing. The draft itself, 
It's a bunch of people sitting around talking about the picks. And it's a bunch of the picks themselves who go to the city where the draft is, and they come out and they get the bear hug from the commissioner after everyone boos the commissioner. And that's one of the angles I'm fascinated by about this. I guess this is first down and second down tied together. First down, five cities in contention. Second down, Roger Goodell should stand down. Something MDS and I talked about today on PFT Live, and the more I thought about it, the more sense it makes. I feel like the NFL has begun the process of strategizing on the latter days of the draft to keep the commissioner out of the spotlight because in Chicago on day three, boo, even day three, he wasn't around at all day three this year in Philly. Day two in Philly, they tried to use basically human shields for the booing. Ron Jaworski didn't work. They cheered Jaworski, booed Goodell. And Monday night, that's Boo Fest, or Monday night, the first night, Thursday night, Boo Fest. That's when they boo like crazy. Will he take the podium in Dallas with 100,000 fans there, most of whom are Cowboys fans, most of whom are pissed off about the Ezekiel Elliott suspension because they believe if they had Elliott for the full year, maybe they would have been in the Super Bowl, maybe they would have won it. Boo! The NFL has made the point to me for years because the booing of the commissioner really started during the lockout. Because remember, during the lockout, they did the draft anyway. And I was in New York City for that. And they booed the hell out of the commissioner. When he'd walk out of the crowd, though, everybody wanted to shake his hand and take a selfie with him. Were they doing selfies in 2011? I think they were doing selfies then. And the NFL just kind of laughed at that, like, oh, this is a strange inconsistency. You boo him when it's a crowd, but individually, everybody wants to shake his hand and pat him on the back and take a selfie. Well, okay, fine. But still, when people are in that, that anonymity that comes from being in a group, that, that sense that you're out in the open, but you're still hidden by the group, boo! It's going to be more embarrassing than ever in Dallas. He just needs to stand down, and they need to use the fact that it's going to be on Fox as a way to say we're hiring John Stewart or Kevin Colbert or Kevin Colbert, Stephen Colbert. I got Kevin Colbert on the brain because we're going to talk about the Steelers coming up. I had never messed that up before. I am afraid that I'm going to say Kevin Colbert. I never thought that I would actually say Kevin Colbert instead of Stephen Colbert. But somebody from the world of entertainment who won't be booed. Nobody ever boos the host of the Oscars. You get somebody unbooable. I had said in the past, get James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman or Sam Elliott to be the one who announces the picks because of the, the voice, right? But you just get, get, here's what you do. You get Stephen Colbert or Jon Stewart or David Letterman or Jay Leno or somebody to be essentially the MC, and then you can bring out one of the great players of the past from all the teams. And you know what? When the booing happens, it'll be fun booing, like when Drew Pearson trolled the Eagles fans last year. I'd say the Eagles fans got the last laugh. This year, I expect Brian Westbrook to be announcing, at a minimum, the second-round pick, maybe the first-round pick. Maybe it would be Jaworski out there taking the heat. That That's the kind of fun booing when you've got mortal enemies it shouldn't be the commissioner getting booed. That's an embarrassment to the league. It's an embarrassment to the shield. And the commissioner is too prideful to stand down. That's his gig. 
the big bear hug with the incoming players. Well, I guess he can still give the bear hug off stage or stand off to the side. If they see him, though, they're going to boo him. If you announce him, he's getting booed. But you get booed once versus getting booed 32 times. So it's become sport now. Boo the commissioner. So they need to, they need to find a way around that. The, the Cardinals have found a way to get Larry Fitzgerald to play, even though they don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Is a third down. I didn't realize how close Larry Fitzgerald was to taking over the number two spot in career receiving yards. 389 from Terrell Owens. He's already in number three. This guy's a surefire Hall of Famer. I mean, there was a period where it was kind of like, yeah, he's got Hall of Fame credentials based upon how well he plays in the postseason. He's got the longevity. Hell, he's 389 yards away from tying Terrell Owens as number two all time. He's first ballot. If Randy Moss is first ballot, Larry Fitzgerald's first ballot because he's got none of the baggage that either Moss or Owens would have brought to the, the meeting room. So... Whenever he stops, five years later, he's in. He's 89 catches from number two. Tony Gonzalez is currently number two. So he already has more catches than Owens or Moss. Now, he'll need a big year in 2018 to catch Gonzalez. But I still think he could do it. He still got it. And he must have heard something from Steve Wilkes, the new head coach of the Cardinals that he liked or he heard something from Steve Kime that he liked about what they're planning to do to get a quarterback. Surely they're going to get a quarterback. They're going to attract one of the one of the best available free agents. The question is, what are they going to pay? He had 109 catches last year. He had 107 year, the year before, and he had 109 the year before that. So he needs 89 to catch Terrell Owens. I, I, think, I think he will do it. Barring injury. And I think he sails into the Hall of Fame. And who knows? Maybe he's got more than one year left in him. I, I think he's great. And I, I, uh, I'd I, like to see him get a Super Bowl ring. I just don't know that the Cardinals are going to have the team to do it this year. But, but who knows? Who just said that the Eagles had the team to do it a year ago? We've been talking about the draft fourth down. The draft is coming up. I saw that Mike Mayock has his rankings out his positional rankings he only does a mock draft the night before the draft or or in that kind of proximity we only do one now as well I'm so over the mock drafts I understand they provide a format for having the conversation about who goes where and look it's a waste of your time to write it or talk about it or think about it before free agency Because needs will be filled and needs will be created by free agency movement. That's the first big piece of the offseason puzzle. Now, if it was like the NBA and the draft happened before free agency, fine. Mock draft all you want. But with free agency before the draft, it's absolutely positively a waste of time to try to project the picks. Because we know how it goes. Once you you get derailed easily, you're going to give a quarterback to a team that's going to sign a quarterback. So now, and I guess you can factor in projected movement in free agency, but but who the hell knows what's going to happen in free agency? So it makes it even harder to put together what the hell is going to happen in the draft until after free agency. Mayock has Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, and then Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph tied at number five. And Lamar Jackson is the one who's the biggest enigma here to me. 
He was the Heisman Trophy winner, and he was so good in 2016, people just assumed he'd win it again. And he was great last year, but the team wasn't good enough. So the team uh, struggles resulted in in Jackson not getting the kind of attention in 2017 that he got in 2016. But, yeah, I, 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 you know, you see, I've seen people like Bill Polian, oh, he should move to receiver, he should do this. Look. There aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. I, I'm I'm still surprised Terrell Pryor eventually agreed to move to receiver. There aren't enough good quarterbacks to go around. Keep playing quarterback. And Terrell Pryor was a flash in the pan at receiver. He was great, 1,000 yards in 2016. What the hell happened last year? So I, I hope Lamar Jackson says I'm a quarterback and whoever drafts him lets him play quarterback and we see what he can do because he's kind of the forgotten man in this. And I was heartened to see that that Mayock has put him up there in the top five. Fifth down. We're moving through this one today. It's kind of slow right now, but it's going to pick up. We're in that lull after the Super Bowl. The scouting combine's two weeks away. Free agency's coming. The franchise tag window opens next week. So things are going to start moving, and the Steelers have to decide what to do with Le'Veon Bell. Kevin Colbert, not to be confused with Stephen Colbert, met with reporters on Thursday, and he explained to them that they met with Le'Veon before he left at the end of the season and said, look, we have a strong desire to keep you with the Steelers the remainder of your career. We do know that Le'Veon has been a great player for us. We think he can still be a great player from this point forward, and we'd love to have him be a Steeler for the rest of his career. That's fine, but what are you going to pay him? And how are you going to do this? See, the Steelers, who are very accustomed to dictating terms to their players, and that's fine. If the players go along with it, what's wrong with the Steelers for dictating terms? I mean, if I keep asking my mom for a cookie and she keeps giving me a cookie, even though she doesn't have to give me a cookie, I'm, I'm going to keep asking for the damn cookie. Hey, can I have a cookie? Here's a cookie. Hey, I want a cookie. Here's a cookie. Oh, shit. Keep asking for cookies. I just keep waiting for one of these players to say, you ain't getting no damn cookie. No, I'm not, I'm not doing the deal by the deadline, the artificial deadline that you've created. I have other options. I have another agenda. I have a different way of doing things. And the way Le'Veon Bell had explained it several weeks ago, the Steelers and Bell agreed that they were going to set the opening of the franchise tag window as the deadline, the artificial deadline, for getting something done on a long-term basis. My advice to Le'Veon Bell would be, don't do it. Wait and see what they do when the window closes on the franchise tag. Are they going to tag you or not? You want to get that second tag, because once you've got the second tag, you're never getting tagged again for the rest of your career. You never have to worry about the tag again. So they tag me or they don't. Tag me or don't. And we'll talk about a long-term deal the day after the window closes. If you've tagged me, we'll talk about a deal based upon the $14.5 million I'm due to make this year under the tag. If you don't tag me, we'll talk about a deal based upon my market value. And we'll really talk about a deal based upon my market value when the two-day window for negotiating with other teams opens up. There have been plenty of guys who have gotten deals done with their current teams during that two-day window once the current team sees what other teams are doing by way of offering money. So Bell's got some leverage here. The only risk he's taking is that whatever the Steelers will pay him on a long-term deal with the threat of the tag, that that ends up being more than what he gets if the tag isn't applied. Because that's the thing. The tag's $14.5 million. That's $6.5 million above the current market for running backs. Well, what's somebody going to pay him on the open market? That's the risk he's taking here. That's the hammer that the Steelers have. 
hey, look, we're willing to pay you $13 million a year, $14 million a year. We're willing to pay you an annual average roughly similar to what you're going to get this year under the franchise tag until we use the tag or don't. If, you, if we don't use the tag, then we're going we're gonna to be paying you less. And it becomes a game of chicken, really, on whether or not they're going to use the tag. Are they willing to let this guy go to the open market? But you know what? All it takes is one other team to say, yeah, we got the cash. We got the cap space. We've got the incentive. I could see the 49ers making a play for Le'Veon Bell. How about that? Le'Veon Bell and Jimmy Garoppolo. That'll turn your team around pretty damn fast. I, I don't know that the whole stutter step move is conducive to the, the Kyle Shanahan offense. It's more about the one cut, hit the hole and go with the zone blocking. But Bell's running style, you make it work. So, uh, bottom line is, Bell already made $12.1 million last year. He does hold some cards here. And, and here, here's the thing. No matter what the Steelers say, the deal never gets worse as time goes by. The deal always gets better. Always gets better. Now, sometimes you decide you're taking the bird in the hand because that bird is big enough and fat enough and it's more bird meat that you can eat for the rest of your life. And you don't want to risk the possibility of anything can happen that causes the bird to get smaller in theory. You get hit by a bus, that bird's getting smaller. You tear your ACL working out, that bird's getting smaller. So there is some benefit in taking a sufficiently large bird. But the deal itself, if all other things are equal, that deal's going to get better as time goes by. So I still think Bell should tell the Steelers, I'm not doing a deal until I know whether or not you're tagging me. And if you don't tag me, fine. You're going to do a deal based upon the market. And I'm going to find out what my market is. And I have a feeling with the cap going to $180 million and plenty of teams out there with a ton of cap space and plenty of teams out there wanting to win, that that deal on the open market is going to be better than whatever the Steelers would like to pay. All right. that uh, Those are the five downs for today. I'm going to open the tweet now and answer some of your questions. I've gotten fairly good at screening these stupid questions. Not that they're stupid, but screening out the questions that I shouldn't answer. There are a lot of great questions. Sometimes, though, I start asking the question, and I realize it's probably not a question that I should have asked. But let's see what we have in here today. At RevWebs2019, or 219, will all six live hours be available via podcast tomorrow? I really want to torture myself. Thank you. Thank you, Rev Webs. I don't know what we're doing about the, the three bonus hours. I'll have to ask stats. Are we putting all six hours up as part of the podcast? I don't see why not. I, it's not like it's some significant expense. It's just a matter of taking the time to do it. Now, stats is kind of lazy, so maybe he won't feel like actually doing it, but there's no reason not to put all six hours up. Terry Gensler, 14, should the NFL hold next year's draft in Canton and have Hall of Famers of each team announce the picks? Well, I think they should have Hall of Famers of of each team announce the pick anyway. Gets back to what I was saying earlier. Don't have Roger Goodell do it. Have others come out. People who are going to be cheered, not booed. Although they'll be booed for strategic reasons, right? The Eagles Hall of Famer who announces the pick in Dallas is going to be booed. The Giants Hall of Famer who announces the Giants pick in Dallas is going to be booed. But but this, they're not getting booed for the same reason that the commissioner is getting booed. So I like that anywhere and everywhere. Have a host who is a professional, comedian, whatever. And now to announce the Pittsburgh Steelers pick, 
Hall of Famer, Franco Harris, something like that. And then Franco comes out and he announces the pick and you move on to the next one. There's enough former players out there that you should very easily be able to do this. It's not going to be cheap because these folks are going to want to get paid. And it gets back to what I was saying about the players who are being drafted. They should put their hands out and say, we want to get paid too. We're, we're, We're playing a free role in your reality show. We're the stars of this reality show. Give us something more than a plane ticket in a hotel room. At Uncle Phil, with the NFL being more of a passing league by the day, are you surprised that there haven't been more quarterbacks with a need for Tommy John surgery? Look, I don't know enough about the biomechanical differences between throwing a baseball and throwing a football. I think throwing a baseball puts a hell of a lot more stress on that that tendon, right? And, and throwing a baseball, the way that they throw a baseball, the way they pitch a baseball is such an unnatural motion. The far more natural motion is the underhand softball pitch motion. That's why, like, softball pitchers can pitch day after day after day after day. It's a natural motion. It doesn't put that odd stress. And, and you know, and anybody that's thrown baseball for an extended period of time, your elbow just feels like it's on fire after a while. So you never feel that way after throwing a football. I mean, I've been, you know, I was a kid out throwing football. I throw football all day. Your arm doesn't hurt. You throw baseball for a half hour, 45 minutes. Like, ah, man, this hurts. So I I don't pretend to know the specific reasons why, but I would say that's why, that, that throwing the baseball is more inherently destructive to the structure of the arm than throwing a football is. At Black 88 Elite, where does Sebastian Janikowski go next year? Snoop Dogg says the bar in response. Come on, man. Janikowski's played 18 years. He's 39. Now, Adam Vinatieri, deep into his 40s, still playing. I I don't know where he goes. Because he's going to want to be paid a certain amount. And the kicker is the most fungible position. One of the most fungible. Kicker, punter, long snapper, holder. The most fungible positions in all the sports. In, well, is he healthy? He didn't play at all last year. Is he healthy? You bring him in, can he kick? Does he still have the cannon? Can he still get it down the field? Can you count on him to be healthy all year long? And how much money does he want? You've got a lot of guys out there that you can pay little or nothing to. That's one of the positions where the supply far outweighs the demand. Quarterback, the demand far outweighs the supply. Kicker, there's kickers everywhere. So he's going to have to soften his financial expectations. It's a shame that the Raiders have decided to move on. But you know what? If they thought he could get it done, they wouldn't have moved on. They wouldn't have moved on. You keep him around. Once a Raider, always a Raider. But look, and and it's not like it's some sexy position where you're going to sell a bunch of Sebastian Janikowski jerseys. And you're going to get people to buy season tickets when you have the, the big splash website that you've signed Sebastian Janikowski. I mean... Guy's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So I don't know where he's going to go. He's going to have to take a lot less. He may have to take the veteran minimum if he wants to play another year or something close to it. At Sean Alvashar, I thought your opening monologue on PFT Live this morning was excellent. Thank you, Sean. Do you think these tragedies will have any effect on people attending NFL games or other sporting events? Here's the thing. Now, I remember back when the Super Bowl was held in Arizona, Super Bowl 42. I remember seeing a news story after the fact. There was a guy who was contemplating a mass attack on people entering the Super Bowl and they averted it somehow or he didn't go through with it or they they caught him. Something happened. But something like this hasn't happened at a sporting event. So that 
bubble hasn't been popped yet, right? But God forbid it does happen, but you talk about a concentration of people and the people get concentrated together every bit as tightly as they were in Las Vegas at that country music festival. So there's definitely a concern and there's definitely a reason to be worried if you're somebody who's going to a sporting event. I just don't know that people are actually thinking about it. You know, one of the genetic defects that we have as a species, and it causes us to engage in a lot of risky behaviors, it's this idea that the bad thing that happens always happens to someone else, not us. Haven't you noticed that, that we're kind of that way? That we don't think it's going to happen to us, it's going to happen to someone else until it happens to us? That's what causes people to do inherently risky things like ride motorcycles without helmets and jump out of airplanes, etc. But, you know, a lot of people just, they shrug and say, I'm going to live my life. And, and it, you know, even though America today is an amalgamation of people from all across the globe, the way the nation was founded, I mean, it was people who were taking the risk that, uh, you know, the king wasn't going to be all that happy about what we're doing over here. And we gave him a middle finger. So risk is kind of part of what we do. And one of the things that makes me proud of the American culture is when there is someone who is either sick or evil or a combination of both who does something like this, we don't all stay at home and hide under our beds. We still live our lives. It's sad that you have to live your life understanding that there's a chance something like that will happen, but we're still going to live our lives. So I don't know what impact it will have. I remember in the aftermath of 9-11, you know, that was one of the, one of the concerns that you got 60, 70,000 people and think about all the college stadiums every Saturday, what kind of security is there? And I remember going to West Virginia university games in the aftermath of nine 11 constantly on the lookout for the potential flaws that could be exploited by somebody. But, uh, you know, so far it hasn't happened. And if it does happen, I, I don't know how many people it ultimately keeps away. I don't because people are going to say, well, it's going to be even more secure because they're going to make even better changes and improvements to keep it from happening again. At KSTs13, what's up with Jay Cutler? Is he coming back to play for a team that loses its quarterback to injury, or is he done? Is there still a broadcasting spot open for him? See, when he decided to play last year, he was going to be in a three-man booth, and it went to a two-man booth, so it's not like they replaced him. So I think if he wants to go back to Fox, he can go back to Fox. And they probably told him that when... He decided to go play for the Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins the one team that made most sense for him because he had the connection to Adam Gase from their year together in Chicago. I think Cutler would like to go somewhere and, and be the starter. Is somebody going to sign him to be the starter? You don't even hear his name. It's not like he had a great year with the Dolphins either. Now, how good is it going to be when you get plugged in on the fly in the middle of training camp? And there were issues with that Dolphins team. There's so much adversity that went through last year. I don't know what Cutler still has left in the tank. I don't see him being a guy that a team is going to pay 12, 15, 17 million a year to. So I think that he becomes another break glass in event of emergency option. And, and even then, unless he's got some prior connection or some knowledge of the system or something that makes the transition smooth, I, it, it very well could be that he's done. 
At Mike Tobacco, will the NFL adopt an Aaron Rodgers rule to further protect quarterbacks from injury? Is driving a quarterback into the turf soon a thing of the past? Is protecting the passer soon an extension of protecting the NFL shield for TV ratings? I, look, I don't think Aaron Rodgers was hit illegally. Aaron Rodgers, if you go back and watch that play, he deliberately held on to the football to give Martellus Bennett more time to spring open, so he hits him in stride and a relatively moderate 10, 15-yard pass turns into a long game. So he waited for him to pop a little more open so he could hit him in stride, and he didn't. He dropped it, of course. But he welcomed the contact from Anthony Barr. He knew he was going to get hit, and he did not get driven into the ground. He got hit and taken down. It just so happened that his collarbone snapped when he hit, and that's one of the risks you take if you're going to hold the ball so long that the defender is within the bubble where it's permissible to hit you after you've thrown it. If you don't want to get hit, get rid of the ball when the guy's more than two steps away. Then if you get hit, you know he's getting flagged. You still may get hit, but if you hold it, hold it, hold it, and and you're going to be, you know, a tough guy about it, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but sometimes these guys think, yeah, I'll take the hit, I'll be fine. It's that gene that I was talking about, that defect that we have. Yeah, it's not going to happen to me. Boom, snap, done. Bing, bang, pow. There goes the collarbone. I don't know how much more protection you can give to a quarterback than what they already have. Now, I've said in the past, if you truly want to protect quarterbacks, make it like a punter. Can't hit him after the ball's out. You better time it just right, because if you hit him after the ball's out, 15 yards. That would protect the quarterbacks. And if we're going to give that kind of protection to punters and place kickers, well, why not give that protection to quarterbacks as well? Now, here's the thing. Punters and place kickers are particularly vulnerable when their legs up in the air and they get blasted. But if you really want to go over the top with protection to quarterbacks, that's the way to do it. Now, that's one of those rule changes. And I've said this from time to time, and I don't know that the XFL is going to fill this void. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. If you make the kind of rule changes that fundamentally alter the sport that we're used to watching, people are going to look for another type of football that fills that void. And football already is very different than it was 20 years ago. It happened gradually. But I think something like that, where there would be a no touching the quarterback after he throws the ball, that kind of rule, man, that would be jarring. You'd have a lot of people who'd be up in arms. So my point is, I don't know what else you can do other than make that the rule. I think they already have all the protections that they need, and they at some point have the responsibility of protecting themselves. At KSTs13, is ESPN getting out of the market of streaming NFL games? Seems like since the Fox-Disney sale, ESPN has been distancing themselves. I don't know about streaming games. I mean, broadcasting games. Look, ABC decided that the investment necessary to get Thursday Night Football, and obviously ABC is part of ESPN, part of Disney, they decided it was too much, like CBS and NBC did. Fox was willing to overpay because Fox needs something to sink its teeth into and prop up the rest of its primetime lineup. Now, ESPN is losing in an indirect way because ESPN may lose its wildcard playoff game to Fox as a result of this Thursday Night Football deal. And ESPN's share, right now 67% of the draft ratings, that's going to be flipped around and be 33% at best with the draft on Fox and NFL Network. So I don't know if this is a harbinger. If this means that when the Monday Night Football deal is up, and remember, Monday Night Football is up one year before the rest of the deals. The TV deals across the board are up after 2022. Monday Night Football is up after 2021. 
will ESPN put together the money necessary to keep Monday Night Football? Depends on who you talk to. I've talked to people at NBC, and they're like, there's no way in hell they won't pay the money. They need it. They have to have it. Even though the total number of houses is down, you can't justify that very high per household fee that they get without Monday Night Football. So they'll pay it. And the NFL knows they'll pay it. Well, maybe somebody else will pay more. Yeah, I feel like we are moving toward a point where there will be kind of a, a of a dramatic reshuffling. We saw a dramatic reshuffling in 1994 when Fox swooped in and took away the CBS NFC package. And then in 98, CBS swooped in and took away the NBC AFC package. NBC was out in the cold from 98, I think it was, until 2006. NBC comes in and makes Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, and Sunday Night's the big destination. And, I mean, there's just enough networks and just few enough packages and, and this is brilliant by the NFL. If you just have one or two packages fewer than there are potential bidders, from time to time, somebody's going to say, screw it, I'll pay. I'll pay more than everybody else because I want this. So are we moving in that direction? I don't know. We'll see. Will NBC have the NFL come 2023? We'll see. Will CBS? Will Fox? Will ESPN? Will ABC be back in it? They're still going to have a broadcast component. They have to. Because they understand that's a way to get to the biggest audience. So I don't know what ESPN is doing, but ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox. I think the NFL is going to continue to focus on maximizing the number of games that are on those networks because that's how you get the most people watching. At Shake and Blake 95, is Denver's recent lack of success worrisome for the future? Zero Pro Bowlers drafted between 2012 and 2017. I mean, I'll take your word for it, Shake and Blake. But... Look, the Broncos were bad last year, and they they weren't just losing games. They were not competitive. They had, and I used to know the numbers off the tip of my tongue, 10 double-digit losses and four or five of 20 or more points or something like that. I mean, they got embarrassed last year on many occasions, and they have not had back-to-back losing seasons since 71-72. And actually, it was three losing seasons in a row, 70-71-72. But no back-to-back losing seasons. Since 71-72. So we'll see. They decided to keep Coach Vance Joseph, but John Elway is the one that this is all sticking to, and it's up to him to fix the quarterback problem. And we'll see if he's willing to pay the money necessary to do it in free agency. He's going to roll the, the dice on a draft pick. Does he try to get something out of Paxton Lynch? That was the guy they traded up to get two years ago, and he hasn't worked out. So we'll see. But I'd say that that this is a huge year for the Broncos, and it's a significant year for John Elway. And even without an owner, a traditional owner, he reports to a three-person group of trustees. Even without that owner in place, I think you're going to see John Elway inch toward the hot seat and at a minimum the focal point of the criticism, almost like the criticism an owner or a bad team would get. Because I don't know that he gets fired anytime soon, but he's going to be the person who very soon is, is the one that the Broncos fans are pointing to saying it's his fault that the team's as bad as it is if it continues on the path it's now on. Sean Alvishire, I understand your point as to why the NFL wants the draft on a three-letter network. What I don't understand is why the NFL draft needs to be aired live on three networks. Well, you know, ESPN has been televising the draft for years, and when NFL Network started doing it, okay, you've got 
the two networks. And now, now that it's going to move to Fox, I think at some point what we're going to see is no ESPN. And I think it'll be on a three-letter network and NFL network moving forward. I, that's what this feels like. And, and I'd see this kind of weird silence out of ESPN in the aftermath of the news. I think they know which way the wind's blowing. And I think that, that the ESPN draft coverage, there's a chance it's going to go away. Now, maybe it goes to ABC, but the NFL is understanding that the more events are on the big networks, the more people watch. It's not just about maximizing your payout. It's about maximizing your audience. <laughs> at at uh, toth y'all 32 you ever think about scrapping your five-down segment due to the fact that you're often confused what down it is? No, because I'd still get confused. Because I just go from one topic to the next. And, you know, it's, it's, it's for the, the sake of, like, the little bit of OCD that I have, and trust me, I have it, that I feel like I have to say first down, second down, third down, fourth down, fifth down. I don't feel right if I haven't said that. So, no, I haven't thought about scrapping it because if I would change that, I'd still screw it up. Whatever is in its place, I'll screw up. At BZ05, do you see a time when the Lombardi Trophy would be renamed to honor Bill Belichick or perhaps another trophy? Yeah, they're not going to rename the Lombardi Trophy. That That's permanent. It's the Lombardi Trophy. Years from now, people will not remember who Vince Lombardi was. So they'll need, you know, oh, Vince Lombardi was the guy who coached the Packers back to victory in Super Bowl one and two. But the Lombardi Trophy, it's 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 as iconic as the shape of it. I mean, think about all the things that become outdated. The Vince Lombardi Trophy is never going to be outdated. It has a timeless look to it. it of all the things the NFL does right, the Lombardi Trophy is perfection. It really is. Now, the one thing I don't like about the Lombardi Trophy is making it the centerpiece of the Super Bowl logo. So that's one thing I noticed and I think we, we talked about this. I think Chris Sims is on board with this idea. The old style, every logo, every Super Bowl had a unique design. Now it's all structured around the trophy. I don't like that. It feels lazy to me. It feels like something that they're doing to save money on designer fees. Like, okay, you know, so we have somebody on staff who can put together a logo where it's all the trophy and you just move the Roman numerals around and, you, you know, you change the background a little bit. That, that's easy. Somebody fresh out of college can do that. We're paying that person 15 grand a year. That's fine. You go out and design a special logo. You know, there's only so many special logos you can have before they just start looking goofy. I, I still would rather have the unique logos. So bottom line is, they're not changing the name of Lombardi Trophy. I, I think something, some way, somehow will be named for Bill Belichick. Why not just name Coach of the Year for Bill Belichick? I mean, he's the coach of every year. At some point, what they need to do is name the individual awards after people. That's what hockey does, right? Who the hell's Lady Bing? I don't know. Think about all those hockey trophies with all those names of people. I don't know who they are, but their name's on the trophy. The Belichick Coach of the Year Award. They, they do it with Walter Payton, the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award, right? The Tom Brady Most Valuable Player. I mean, the problem is, once you give it a permanent name, the NFL is going to be around for a long time. Sorry, Feneroradas, but the, the NFL is going to be around for a very long time. A hundred years from now, I mean, do you want to have these names tied in where people are like, who the hell is that? All right. Next question. 
at Tally's Corner, ESPN reporter you'd most want to fight at Rough and Rowdy tomorrow night in Morgantown? Because you really have to ask that question. Do you really have to ask me that question? Oh, I'd thump him too. I'm about 10 inches taller. Oh, I'd thump him. It, it, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't even be close. Yeah, you can do 30 push-ups. I can do 40. It wouldn't even be close. I can do 50 if you give me a couple of weeks to work at it. At Andrew Ye, do the independent neurologists watch the live feed of the football game? Do you know of any instances where a player has been pulled from the game to be evaluated when there were no obvious signs of concussion to the announcers slash viewers? I think there ha- well, there have been times when players have been pulled. Players have tapped out. Ben Roethlisberger tapped out a few years ago in Seattle. He said he wasn't feeling well. And there have been times where there have been things noticed on the sideline and players get a concussion evaluation. They get yanked from the game. The independent neurologists aren't watching the feed. They're relying upon the information that is provided them by the spotters who are watching the game and the video from up above. And that's what that's where the, the flaw was with the Tom Savage play, where he was on the ground in the fencing posture. I'd never heard that term before, fencing posture. When It looked like he was in the early stages of a seizure. The spotters didn't get that video down to the sidelines. That's a problem. They're, they're, look, and this is the thing that drives me crazy. Because the NFL has opted to be strident. Like, how dare any of you out there who aren't doctors try to tell us how to spot a concussion? Well, screw you. We're trying to help these guys. You're the ones that have created this atmosphere with a sensitivity to health and safety. We see something, see something, say something, right? We see something that looks like a player's in jeopardy. We're going to say something about it. We're not going to keep our mouths shut in deference to the doctors. We're not trying to diagnose concussions by watching it on TV. We're pointing out that it looks like this guy's messed up. Why are we the only ones who are noticing that this guy's messed up? So, it, uh, I'm still pissed about that. That statement that they had, what was it? It was after the Cam Newton concussion evaluation or lack thereof in the playoff game. That statement, essentially, how dare you? How dare you? You're the ones who are supposed to be concerned about player health and safety. You should welcome any and all input that anyone can provide. And even if somebody is straying beyond their expertise in doing so, you should say thank you for caring enough about our sport and our players to say something. Thank you. We don't want to have a player die on the field. So thank you for pointing out that someone may be concussed. Because the worst thing that can happen to someone with a concussion is to get another concussion. All right. Serenity now. Uh, I should probably... You know, I always look for a high note to... To end it on. That's probably a fairly high note. I got myself all pissed off over that. At Reverend Markworth. I met Reverend Markworth at Pastor Markworth at the Mall of America a couple of weeks ago. Could Randy Moss have been the GOAT if he had played hard all the time instead of playing when he wanted to? Oh, oh he, he, see, see, people are just pushing my buttons now. Hell yes. Hell yes. He could have been. He could have been better than Jerry Rice. If you had taken the work ethic of Jerry Rice and put it into Randy Moss, you've got the greatest player of all time at any position. That's why five years ago, when the 49ers were getting ready to play Super Bowl 47 against the Ravens and Moss was doing the whole media thing and question after question, and he eventually said he's the the best ever at the receiver position. No, 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 you're not, Randy. You could have been, but you're not. Jerry Rice is, because Jerry Rice combined God-given ability plus work. And any of us who bust our asses to get to where we are, resent people who have the talent and for whatever reason, they don't get the absolute most out of it. I'm in the camp where a lot of this, the only thing I've been blessed with naturally is a very, very good memory when I care to use it. Now, if it's something that confuses me a little bit, I mean, I I shut down quickly, but if it's something that falls within the wheelhouse, within the confines of my, my area of interest, 
I'll remember it forever. And and now I was always good in school because I could just m- remember everything. It wasn't quite photographic. It was it was telefocus photographic. Like I had to really twist the lens a little bit. Once it caught my attention and got me to twist the lens, I'd never forget it. But other than that, it's bust your ass. So I get pissed off when people don't bust their ass. People who have clearly supreme God-given physical ability and won't put in the work. Putting in the work is the easy part. Having the God-given ability is the hard part. All right. On that, I'm going to shut it down for today. Thank you for your questions. We'll do it again on Friday. I appreciate you asking so many questions. One of these days, I'm just going to do all questions and answer every question because I can't get to all of them because there's like 50 every day. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate you continuing to ask the questions. If I don't answer your question on a given episode, then ask it again. The sooner you ask it when I put out the call, the more likely you are to get your question included. So thank you for that. Thanks, as always, for your support of the site. Six hours of PFT Live tomorrow, 6 a.m., to noon and then PFTPM. Yes, it's going to be very hard for me to sit on my ass and talk. I'm very good at that. That's one God-given ability I have. I'm very good at sitting on my ass and I've become very good at talking and we're going to be doing a lot of it tomorrow. And thanks for sticking around for some of it. Have a great day. See you Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.